This is the Software and Technology Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you information, education, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. The more diversity of thought of the people working at tech companies, the better. The blockchain idea was around 91, the same idea of in the digital world, we need verifiable documents. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the MarketScale Software and Technology Podcast. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern, and today's episode comes to you from Vion. Vion is the leader in IT solutions and cloud services with 40 years of experience in the industry, delivering everything from storage to AI, either as a service or as a data center solution. And that brings us to our guest today, who is an industry expert who's going to speak on managing the complexities of the cloud and how Vion fits into that. His name is Howard Holton. He's the CTO for Hitachi Vantara, and Hitachi Vantara and Vion are proud partners. So, Howard, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me, Tyler. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Howard, tell me a little bit about your role as CTO. I knew, I know you do a lot of speaking. I know you do a lot of engagements and that sort of thing, and you meet with a lot of high-level people. Tell me a little bit more about what that role and what your position looks like. Sure. So, I'm CTO for Itachi Ventara. Um, unlike most of our customers, it's not a an internal role. Um, I'm a external pre-sales role. Um, I come to Hitachi after being an executive leader uh, multiple times at multiple companies in IT, right? I'm, I'm very much an IT leader. Uh, and I spend most of my time consulting with the Fortune 1000 and um, worldwide governments on IT strategy, data strategy, and digital transformation. All right, yeah. And, uh, and you mentioned that you spend a lot of time kind of consulting on that specifically in the world of IT, which is perfect because today we're talking about multi-cloud environments and how it can meet the needs for businesses and com- commercial organizations. So let's start off here, Howard. Why are cloud environments growing in complexity and what are some ways to mitigate that complexity? Sure. So so that's a kind of a two questions in one. So mm-hmm. The reason it's it's increasing is, well, simple logic, right? Anything from uh, solid strategy and planning, like having multiple clouds to deal with uh, an outage, um, or the realities of business. Not every cloud is best for everything. Um, I think most of us probably got started with cloud in the same in the same way, right? We needed to support rapid development and rapid prototyping. And, and to be honest, even as an IT leader, uh, IT is oftentimes too slow to deal with the test dev requirements of our internal software development team. And so with the advent of AWS, um, they kind of whipped out a corporate credit card and, and launched and we went, well, it's not really you know, gonna c- comply with corporate standards, let us take it over, let us management, let's add some controls and then give you the freedom to provision cloud for test dev. So I think test dev is kind of where it started, but then it evolved from there. And we started looking at, first off, what's the definition of cloud? And I would say cloud really is any consumable service that you manage, maybe not to the infrastructure level, but that is hosted external to your organization. I realize that's broad, and and I think that's okay, because ultimately what we need to do is think about that as an enterprise asset and how we manage and govern and and control and fund that asset. Mm -hmm. But that also means that things like Salesforce.com is a cloud provider. That means Office 365 is a cloud provider. I don't know that I would go so far as to say Zoom is a cloud provider, right? Because I don't really store and host data in Zoom, right? I consume the service, 
but I consume the service very much like I would FedEx, as an example, right? I show up, I drop off a package, a package arrives, I pay a bill. It's not quite the same. Right. But Office 365 is clearly a cloud provider and a really good example of why multi-cloud has become more and more common. And if I'm already doing AWS and I have Salesforce and I have Office 365 and I have 600 other kind of individual pieces like that, Dropbox may be a good example or box.net right, mm -hmm. may be a good example. Um, then it also becomes logical to look at what in addition to AWS makes sense. And if I'm a, an enterprise account manager or an enterprise account owner with Microsoft, there might be motivation on Microsoft's part as part of my ELA to sign me up with their Azure cloud. And now all of a sudden I have spend in Azure and spend in AWS. So I think that's kind of how this starts. None of those are necessarily bad choices, right? Um, I would say bad choices are those that are done without looking at strategic value or overall management and, and, and financial or fiscal impact. Mm -hmm. But the challenge becomes um, if the average company has between 30 and 60 cloud providers defined the way I defined them, um, how do I manage that? How do I control that? How do I govern that? How do I get any kind of depth of knowledge about what those are, where they are, what I'm using them for, kind of my, my, my standard documentation right? Config and change management, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of where it starts to go sideways. Um, when shadow IT and the way shadow IT operates becomes the way IT operates, we end up having problems. And, and I think we're actually seeing some of that in the world today. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that, that you kind of bring up when you, when you talk about that and when you answer that question is that there isn't one cloud that does everything the way that that the modern CIO is going to need for it to, right? And so you have to have these multiple cloud environments, right? And so it, it becomes about managing that and how exactly you're you're choosing to get the right information from each particular piece of, of cloud, let's say. See, I like that you're following kind of where I'm leading, right? It's not just that there isn't one cloud that does everything. There really shouldn't be one cloud that does everything. Hmm, that's a good um, point. Before cloud, there wasn't one data center that did everything, right? I didn't put everything in one data center and go, well, I'm, I'm all set. My business is now exactly where I need my business to be and will remain there. No, we had, I had multiple data centers. And each data center was fed by multiple internet providers and, and ideally had multiple grids that even serviced it and backup generators in case the power failed, right? I had redundancy at each one of those physical locations. Mm -hmm. And while I can assume that my cloud provider does exactly the same thing and has people far superior to the people that I had running data centers, which they do, I'm, I'm not trying to, to, uh, you know, to disparage cloud providers at all, I also have no control over any of it. And I don't really have anything other than their word for it. So since my job as an IT executive is to manage the, that risk and liability, it also behooves me to really think about what is my strategy to dealing with a cloud outage, which as we've seen year over year, cloud outages aren't going away, right? And right. so a multi-cloud strategy really starts to become the intelligent thing. And that's where what do we do kind of comes into play. Mm -hmm. And that's where something like a multi-cloud management platform really becomes important. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. That actually brings me to, to why we're here today, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Hitachi Ventura doesn't make a cloud management platform. 
We, okay. we don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'd love to say we did. I think we make fantastic products. I think our portfolio is is outstanding, and and the portfolio itself is absolutely uh, class leading. Um, but the reason I'm here talking on behalf of Ion is because not only do they put all of our products in the cloud and give you a management platform for that, but they also will link that management platform to everybody else um, and give you that kind of single pane of glass for your for your for your multi cloud view. Right, right. We're going to talk a little bit more about that that multi kind of pane of glass versus you know single pane of glass approach, and, and talk a little bit more about that and unpack that here in a little bit. But let's talk about what are, what are different companies doing to maximize their investment in cloud while easing the burden of managing them. You just mentioned Vion Solution there. How, how are companies kind of going about maximizing that investment? So now we're kind of getting into what are best practices and mistakes. Right, which is a place I, I spend a lot of time talking about. Right. The reason I get in front of companies to have these conversations really is to have that conversation. Now, the topic may change. What are the best practices to data science? Right. I'm starting a new data analytics uh, group. But the reality is, I think infrastructure, whether that's your own or somebody else's, is the most important place to start because it's where so many, so much technical debt can be created or erased. And I used to give this talk called, what are the things we were supposed to learn from cloud? Uh, and it wasn't to put our stuff in someone else's data center. Uh, and those three things come down to the simple uh, best practices. The mm -hmm. first is no more sacred cows. If all we do is a lift and shift, if we take our existing IT practices and we simply move those to the cloud and we just go on business as usual, right? Hunting and clicking and, and building servers through the GUI and installing applications by clicking on, on next, next, finish. Um, we're just moving technical debt to a platform that adds more technical debt, doesn't take it away. Sure. And we're not taking advantage of the two biggest values in cloud. The first is supposed to be cost predictability. Hmm. Frankly, if I do things the same every time, at scale, I can generally beat cloud economics, right? Because I'm paying for all of that overhead plus the profit margins that I otherwise would have in my data center. Second, I'm supposed to gain agility. And agility doesn't just mean I can spin up more servers faster, but I can spin up the right amount of resources, whether that's up or down, based on the current workload. Mm -hmm. I cannot do that with sacred cows. I cannot do that with next, next, finish. Right? So first thing I have to do is figure out how do I eliminate the sacred cows? There's no more, you know, sacrificing virgins and, and you know, and sacrificing sheep and lighting candles <laughs> and praying that servers come back up because the guy who built that thing 30 years ago is no longer with the company. Right. Uh, first off, I would say that's probably a bad, uh, you know, thing to move to the cloud, certainly early on in your cloud mm. adoption phase, but ultimately not an approach we want to take. And that leads us to kind of number two, and that is infrastructure as code. We all talk about it. We've all heard about it. But there's not a lot of us that are actually doing it. And infrastructure as code is the only way we're going to see the agility that cloud allows. It's also the only way it's going to be documented. Because the beauty of infrastructure as code is, one, it's really, really, really easy to build cattle. And instead of sacred cows, right, we still have this huge farm we're managing. We still have this huge ranch we're managing, mm -hmm. but we want to refer to them as cattle. I don't name my cattle, right? My cattle is an investment that I care and feed until it's no longer worth caring and feeding for, and it gets sent off to slaughter. And in reality, that's kind of how I want my servers to be. That's kind of how I want my applications to be. Right. I want to be able to go, that thing's not performing. 
I'm going to kill it, I'm going to redeploy it, and maybe I'm going to save it and triage it, right? See if I can figure out what went wrong. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to get the business back up and running as fast as possible or the portion of the business back up and running as fast as possible. And infrastructure as code allows me to basically click deploy, not next, next, finish. One click deploy. And it comes out exactly the same every time. There's no steps, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Here's the recipe. The recipe is automated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, the third thing is the holistic application, which is a talk all on all its own that 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 we're not going to get hugely into. But the holistic application is not just the contents of the executable package, or that plus where the data resides, right? It's everything from the nuts and bolts that IT normally concentrates on to who are the users, to what value does that bring to the business, up to including what's its criticality, what's the RPO RTO. And what's its real value to the business, mm-hmm. right? Because right, right. if we've got 6,000 applications, which most large enterprises, that number's not far off, right? It, it might be a multiple up, right? We might, they might have 15 or 25,000, but 6,000 is not a bad number. Even if it's 1,000, that's a significant number of applications. Yeah. Um, how often do we stop and look at those and go and say, hey, do these still have the same business value that they did when we installed the server? Mm. Maybe they're being used. Right, right. Right? But if they're really only being used once a month to make a report, is that the best place to keep that data? Do we need to keep that application up and running? Mm -hmm. Maybe that application was initially classified as a gold tier application, but in reality, it's probably a bronze tier application based on usage patterns, RPO, RTO, et cetera, et cetera. Right? What's the damage to the business if that report that gets run once a month gets run two days late or three days early? Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, and I don't think IT asks that question enough, and, I, and that's really critical to a cloud strategy because now I'm paying for this stuff, to, I'm paying for this stuff by the hour. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's all part of that agility. If I can get to the point where I'm really taking advantage of agility and cloud economics and that cloud economics only matter if you're able to take advantage of it down to the hour, then uh, now I'm taking advantage of cloud. Now I'm really pushing my business into the future. And now I can start really looking at where's the right workload go to the right cloud for the right value to bring the maximum potential value back to the business. It, it kind of sounds like what you're, what you're saying is don't do anything because it's the way you've always done it, but think through and have a reason and an intentionality and a purpose behind every application, behind everything that you are, all the operations that you're trying to achieve because otherwise you don't maintain that, um, uh, what's, what's the word you've, you've used? Uh, you're, you're not as nimble and you're not as able to then um, kind of utilize things the way that you should be able to. Yeah, so I, I talk a, a, a bit about... Um what the role of a CIO is in kind of purchasing. And it's not really purchasing, but let's call it acquisition. Mm-hmm. That's a better way to put it. Most of the vendors that I had were procurement partners, right? They would bring me things to which I would issue a PO and procure. I would bring them into my organization, put them on a shelf. Um, the challenge with that was it was always me fighting against those becoming shelfware. And that's kind of how all of all of enterprise uh, technology purchasing works. In reality, what I'm trying to do is add a capability to my organization, right? Something I couldn't do yesterday 
that I'm enabled by this set of purchases to be able to do tomorrow. Right. That's more than just procurement, right? If I buy a new table saw, as an example, that doesn't make me a woodworker. Mm-hmm. That doesn't give me the capability to make beautiful pieces of furniture. Um, that, that happens to be appropriate because I worked on a COVID project here, much like many, <laughs> many other people. Um, but rather, I need to, to have, you know, maybe a specific, specific outlet in my garage for it. I need to have the space for it. I need to have some sort of training and understanding of what that piece of equipment is good for. And technology is the same. And entirely too often, it's left up to us in IT to figure out how to add all of the things around that new shiny piece of equipment that I bought. Sure, it's humming in the data center, but are we actually using it? And what I'm trying to do is acquire capabilities. And if I think about everything as a capability and what that capability is supposed to drive within the business, then these decisions stop being what I did yesterday in a new way, but start being what does that capability enable for my business? And I'm not really even looking at, at it differently. I'm just looking at it with a new lens. Hmm. Right? What's the end state goal? That's the capability. What does my daily run become? That's my capability. How do my workflows change? That's my capability. And if I look at everything that way, then everything starts to become a much more strategic purchase and a much more fiscally responsible purchase. Yeah, you you don't want uh, technologies aren't a trophy to put up on a shelf. They have to be useful, like you mentioned. And I want to get back to that that pane of glass analogy that you mentioned earlier, and talk a little bit more about centralized management platforms. What should be the aim or the goal of those platforms, and how should they change or help how you view technology and and solutions when it comes to uh, an enterprise an enterprise situation? So you're either going to love or hate my answer to this question because it's very similar to my definition of cloud. Um, I, I don't like the term single pane of glass. I think it's overused. Um, it, it may be the proper one, but it's also kind of a, a shortened statement. It should be single pane of glass based on the role because too often I see these single panes of glass that provide a ton of information or a ton of data, I should say but not really information, right? If I'm looking at a pane of glass uh, and it tells me what the uh, load is on a system, but I don't have any reference to know if that's normal or not, it's not really providing me information. It's just giving me data. Sure. Right? If, uh, if, If I see tons of information about what's running, where it's running, and how well it's performing, that may be great, but not if my job is finance. Right? If I'm concerned with the financial impact. Sure. So in reality, a good pane of glass should deliver to you the, inform- the total information about whatever is appropriate for your specific role, mm. your specific purpose. That is the most critical piece. And I would encourage any of our, our listeners, if you're looking at these things, make sure that you have the roles represented in the room when you're going through the demos. Don't do a demo with one or two people in the room. Make sure that the role representatives are in the room so they can look at the dashboard and say, ooh, I like this, but my role doesn't need 97% of what else is there. Can I just have a dashboard that drills into this, this, and this? Right. Most of the time, you'll get an answer in the room that will tell you whether the dashboard that you're looking at, regardless of what it's a dashboard for, will do what you actually want it to do. 
Hmm. And and it's it's about providing that that context for the information that you need so that you do have a, a better picture of what your particular role is and how technology and how these solutions are providing that uh, providing that means to an end, right? Well, data plus context equals information. Yeah. Right? Without context, it's literally just data. Mm. And data by itself has no value. Um, in data science, I would say the turning point in data science and in big data was when we started adding external data sources. Right? Um, yeah. There's a really famous data science story um, about a company that was seeing a slump in their fourth quarter, their end of year quarter, right? October through December. Um, they didn't see orders drop off. They didn't see like workers go on vacation. Um, they didn't turn down factories. They didn't turn down their own logistics. Um, and they went, why is this happening? And they started looking at all their data. Um, and what they found was there was one particular part that they simply ran out of come up to the end of the year. When they looked into it, it was a manufacturer in India. And India shut down at this particular part time of the year, they, they shut down for a large celebration that lasted a couple of weeks. And by the time they spun their factories back up, they really couldn't produce anything until first of the year. And so it stopped all of their order deliveries and they weren't capturing revenue. Mm -hmm. um, that, that sort of stuff is only possible when we add external data sources. And the most valuable external data source, I would argue, kind of universally, is the 130 years of weather data that we capture. But 130 years of weather data by itself, not linked to anything, provides no context and thus is just data. Mm -hmm. But if I add that to my shipping schedule, if I add that to UPS delivery timelines or FedEx or whatever logistics system you're using, doesn't matter, um, and I start to build correlation and causation between those two things, then I can also start to more accurately predict what logistics delays will be involved in delivery of products to my customers. That provides insight, that becomes information, and that information becomes valuable. Right, right. So we're, we're living in an interesting time, obviously, just um, with what all is going on when it comes to COVID-19 and coronavirus. Um, but I, I want to kind of cast an eye towards the future and ask what the, what the future holds for the growth and complexity of cloud and what strategies should IT and business leaders be examining now to position themselves well in the future? And I think that this question does hold some particular relevance given what the current climate is right now. So one of the hardest things in enterprise IT is to ensure you have a good business continuity plan, right? Your BCP. Um, we're fairly good at DR, mostly because DR lives and dies within IT, right? Do I have a, a backup for that? Is this active, 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 passive? What's my RPO, RTO? All that stuff we're used to talking about. Business continuity planning tends to be a challenge because it involves the entirety of the organization. But it's also where I think COVID has exposed our biggest failure. The number of companies that I talk to um, where they're like, eh, our infrastructure is working fine, but we don't have enough internet bandwidth to handle 100% remote workforce. Um, not only do we not have enough bandwidth and we have to go back to our service provider, but I'm talking to service providers who also don't have enough bandwidth because the demand is so high. They don't have enough installers because the demand is so high, right? I'm talking to companies where they're sending out um, orders to their workers saying, hey, don't use the VPN unless you need something that you must use VPN for. Don't mm -hmm. just sit on the VPN all day, mm -hmm. which tells me, uh, one, their, their bandwidth uh, needs are far higher and should have been planned for as part of business continuity planning. And second, um, 
Split DNS has not been properly configured, amongst other things. Um, and so I would say today, right now, and really for the next five years, business continuity planning should be the thing we talk about, the thing businesses talk about. In the way we talked about cloud 10 years ago, that that was what every board talked about, what's our cloud strategy, the way security is talked about, the way we talk about how do we avoid um, you know, ransomware, um, we need to really start talking about what's our business continuity plan. Mm-hmm. Right. This is a pandemic. This is the worst possible scenario. We can't touch not just one of our physical locations, but any of our physical locations. Exactly. Exactly. Right? And then maybe think about, is this a good thing? Like, at, at what point does some of our real estate become something that's not necessary? If 100% of our workforce is working from home, we also have the ability to look at that and say, hey, does this workforce and workflow work for more of us than maybe we thought about before? Where does it not work, right? What things make sense to be remote and how does that change how we spend and how we provision, right? What things worked really well in the cloud during this mm -hmm. and what things maybe didn't? And then I would also caution one final thing, and that is that we are in a data economy. Right? Whether you believe data is the new oil or not doesn't really matter. What matters is Wall Street is valuing companies based on the val potential value of their data, not even the actual value, but the potential value of their data sets. That means data is probably your most valuable digital asset and thus should be protected. And so when you're looking at cloud and you're looking at various cloud vendors, you also need to weigh the risk of what happens if something occurs that damages my data or the accessibility thereof. As in, what if the lost leader that cloud sometimes is, is no longer a lost leader and my costs go up 40%? How do I move that data to someplace that I can take advantage of it? Mm. That's a really good point. And those would be the two things I would look at today. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I remember I was listening to an interview with Chris Saka, who's, you know, uh, renowned, I, I would say, you know, tech investor, maybe angel investor and that sort of thing, early uh, adopter and investor of Twitter. And I, I remember it was it was kind of an eye opening kind of mind changing experience hearing him talk about uh, when people would ask, how does Twitter actually make money? You know, and, and he would always shoot back that. Twitter, by and large, is a, is a data company. Nobody knows more about what people are talking about, about what's going on around the world than, than Twitter, right? And so I think you're absolutely right to point out just the value of, of data, right? Because more and more, there is so much value in that. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I talk to a lot of companies about their data strategy, right? Companies are looking that have either recently hired or are looking to hire someone like a chief data officer. Mm -hmm. They're starting analytics teams. Um, do you know what? Uh, data scientists do for 80% of their time? What's that? They find and clean data. <laughs> you know what they do the other 20% of the time? They complain about finding and cleaning data. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, you know, when you've got 6,000 applications, the chances that you know where all of that data is are effectively zero. Mm. The chances that you know how to get to all of that data are effectively less than zero. Right. Um, and and I, I see that exacerbated by the cloud. Mm -hmm. If I've got 60 cloud vendors, right, my data is in 60 different other people's data centers. Yeah. How do I make sure that I can get to the data that I need? How do I make sure I understand what that data is? Mm -hmm. Right. How do I how do I protect that data? How do I enable the business to get value from that data? All of that I need to answer before I can govern it because if I can't answer those questions, I don't know how to govern it. 
I need to I need to know all those things before I can secure it for the exactly the same reason, right? It right. increases the complexity. And I hate to say it, but that's kind of where having a single pane of glass helps. Mm. Um, if I can put it in a single pane of glass, then at least I can also raise a flag that says, hey, it's on this dashboard. Therefore, it must be documented, governed, secured, and protected. Would you say that answering those questions about data and answering those questions perhaps about um, about what your capabilities are as far as being remote um, are the biggest questions that businesses should be asking themselves now in this era of COVID-19 um, to prepare themselves potentially for the next time something like this happens, if it, if it does, or to prepare themselves for the future of what business looks like? Absolutely. There's seven and a half billion people on the planet. We're continuing to evolve, and the smaller an organ organism is, theoretically, the faster it evolves, right? So to think that this will be the only time we see a pandemic First off, it's not the only time we've seen a pandemic in our lifetimes, right? SARS, uh, swine flu, those are also pandemics. They just weren't global, thank thankfully. Um, look, I'm not saying this is going to happen again. Uh, I really hope that, that it doesn't. But I think we should plan for it. I think we should be good Boy Scouts, right? Plan for the worst and hope for the best. Mm. And if the best occurs, fantastic. We're in a really, really good position to deal with it because we've got a, we'll have a strategy to deal with it. Yeah. And if nothing happens... Hey, agility and those three rules I gave you give you a little bit more confidence to know you've still done the right thing with your company's assets. You've done the right thing with your company's money. And if something like this does happen, you're going to be in a far, far better position to take advantage of it. Absolutely. Well, that's that sounds like pretty sound advice, especially moving forward, given everything that everybody is currently dealing with and, and trying to work through and, and that sort of thing. Uh, Howard, do you have any other maybe advice um, for people in these particular circumstances and, and during this time that you would share from an IT perspective as someone who is an expert in this field uh, that you would want to kind of share just because things are so uncertain right now? So... Educate. That's kind of my my ongoing advice that I give to everybody. Sure. And I, I realize it's not really enterprise level advice, um, but in reality, uh, today, if I was the leader of a team, I would make sure that team had a subscription to something that allowed them to educate. And I don't mean an internal like corporate only um, resource, right? Give your people a budget today to educate. Because, well, I, I've, seen in, I've seen a lot of people suddenly realizing that that meeting that they had scheduled that was a standing everyone show up meeting can now be handled by email, right? Maybe it's not an hour, it's 15 minutes. I think we've, we've found areas where we've actually become more efficient because we're so dispersed. It's kind of human nature. But that also means all of us have more time than I think we were used to. So please take advantage of this time. Spend it with family. Go see the outdoors. Stretch your legs. But educate. Mm -hmm. Learn something new. It's a great time to do that. Um, and, and I don't have a crystal ball, and I'm not a financial analyst. I don't know what's going to happen. But you're never, ever, ever in a worse position because you chose to educate. That's a great point. That's a great point. And, uh, and for the love of God, everybody mute yourself when you're on a video call with uh, like 15 people, you know, and, and, you're, and you're not the one talking. <laughs> that's, that's been a huge lesson I've learned anyways, Howard. Yeah, I, I, like <laughs> my laptop has a, has a cover over the uh, camera. Uh -huh. um, if it doesn't have a sliding cover, I put a piece of blue tape over it. And the reason I do that is because I can't get caught unawares 
that, hey, video's turned on and I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> more more solid advice during the era of uh, <laughs> COVID-19 and, and working from home and that sort of thing. Howard, thank you so much uh, for joining me today and talking a little bit more about multi-cloud environments and how to address the complexities that are involved with that and uh, sharing those rules and, and kind of breaking down what the future might look like and how to prepare for it now. So Howard Holton, everybody, thank you. Uh, thank you once again for joining me, CTO of Hitachi Ventara. Thank you again, Howard. Thank you, Tyler. Have a wonderful day. And uh, anyone listening is welcome to reach out to me on uh, on LinkedIn. I don't check Twitter too often. I'm I'm terrible at it. But uh, <laughs> but please, uh, LinkedIn uh, slash in slash Howard Holton. Absolutely. And everybody check out Vion.com. That is Vion.com uh, for more information about them and what they do as well. And everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. For more just like it, make sure you subscribe, bookmark this page, however you happen to be listening to it today. Once again, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern, and we'll be back soon with more episodes. But until then, have a good one. 